Hello, spooky friends. <laughs> Hello. Um, episode number seven. Yes. This sounds really short and weird because we already recorded it, but we didn't record it. So we had to go back and redo our intro. So hello again. So hello again that you didn't hear the first time. Lauren, you're going to go for this week. You're going to go first this week? Sure. Okay. Okay. So I have Jeffrey Dahmer for my uh, true crime story. Your serial killer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was also known as the Milwaukee Monster or Milwaukee Cannibal, which I'm surprised I don't know more about this. Like, I didn't know more about this story because that's where my family's from. Yeah, so. I never heard that before. Anyway, he was known for the murder, sexual assault, and even cannibalism of 17 men between the years of 1978 and 1991. Uh, not only was he smart in the ways that he chose to do things, but he was a thoroughly disgusting and twisting human, twisted human being. Uh, oh, yeah. I, mean, I will explain. Anyone who's willing to eat another human is disgusting. He's just, well, yeah, he's just very interesting. He's a very smart, which you don't normally see with a lot of criminals. They're really dumb most of the time. Yeah, that's why they get caught. Um, he grew up in Ohio and was a generally regular kid, but once he had surgery at age four to correct a double hernia, they say he was just much different after that. Not that I'm saying like that changed a kid, but... The surgery changed everything. Right. That's when they can like recall that that was what changed him a little bit. Uh, when his little brother was born, he became more distant and withdrawn, and Dahmer claims that his thoughts of murder started happening at about age 14. Hmm. He was just a weird kid then. Yeah. Uh, he spiraled and suffered from an alcohol addiction, um, and he even dropped off, dropped out of college halfway through his first semester. I relate to that. <laughs> he didn't drop <laughs> out, though. Yeah, I did. But he dropped out forever. Okay. He uh, was enlisted in the military at the time of high school graduation for his father's request uh, because of his addiction and lack of effort towards anything else. You know, they say that a lot of, well, they don't say, but, like, a lot of serial killers, or just killers in general, they were in the military at some point. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? It is weird. But a lot of serial killers, psycho may they be, they, um, like, structure. That that actually probably makes sense, yeah. He was soon arrested for disorderly conduct, so his father sent him to live with his grandmother in Milwaukee whenever he was discharged. And that's where it started. Yeah. Um, so this guy got arrested a lot. Like, they let this guy go so many times and gave him so many chances. It's it makes insane. me so angry. I know. Because it's like, if you, none of this would have happened if you would have just been paying attention. Yeah. He um, progressively had more arrests and they got worse in severity of the crime. His next one was indecent exposure. Two young boys accused him of uh, masturbating in front of them. Yeah. What a weirdo. And he only got one year probation. This was a theme, like a theme with him. Uh, he often got arrested and was let off pretty easily. He was smart in the sense that he chose his victims wisely, looking for primarily African-Americans who were also borderline criminals and in gay bars on the outskirts of town. That way, when no they went missing, yeah, them, yeah. nobody, it would, people wouldn't try so hard to find him and authorities would kind of just chalk it up to their lifestyle. That's sad. You know, uh, his first kill was a hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks and he brought him back to his parents' house. He got him drunk, and when he tried to leave, he hit him on the head and proceeded to strangle him with a barbell. I know. Like, how horrible? Yeah. It's it's always a personal killing. 
that like let you know these people are mm. crazy yeah it's not like you're just shooting them in the back or something no, like, that's still horrible it's still killing them but yeah like to physically do it um, afterward he dismembered the body and packed them in plastic bags to bury them behind his parents home and we find out later that he dug the body up to crush the bones with a hammer and then scatter the ashes oh my god which is kind of, it's kind of real smart <laughs> it is brilliant that's the scary part i know how I, would you kill somebody i wouldn't oh yeah no me either <laughs> <laughs> i probably if i was gonna kill someone i'd probably have to shoot them I, there's no way i could physically stab or strangle how would you get away with murder i don't know i'm not i ain't about to commit a murder because i know i'm not smart enough to hide it i don't know i always just planned on throwing them into the ocean with the orcas because orcas they eat everything Mm -hmm. that was in 78 and he didn't have a second victim until 87 Stephen tuomi had been brought back to dharma's hotel room and dharma awoke to find tuomi dead he could not recollect the events from the night before, so he had his body parts shipped to his grandmother's house in a large suitcase so he could later masturbate on the corpse and then get rid of the body. What a disgusting human being. Who Like, people normally black out from drinking way too much, but who's like, you know what, I just, I blacked out and I, I accidentally killed somebody. Like, And you know what I'm going to do with that body later instead of calling the police? I'm just going to bury it. Chop it up. No, I'm going to masturbate on it and then I'm going to bury it. That's <laughs> disgusting. Mm-hmm. He often liked to photograph the victims during and after their murder so that he could relive the event. I think he probably started that after he couldn't recollect what happened with that man. Um, he was on trial for he was then on trial for a molestation of a 13-year-old boy and while waiting for trial, murdered another man, Anthony Sears. He drugged him, strangled him, sexually assaulted the body, dismembered him, and then photographed the whole thing. Like he did it during and after the murders that's disgusting this is what i mean like he keeps getting in trouble and nobody's seeing a pattern here oh yeah no they're just gonna be well the problem is they don't want to deal with it and they don't want to like take the time to look into the past so they're just like oh this one crime oh well this one crime but really it's like 25 crimes right um so now he's already on trial for the molestation of 13 old boy and he's murdering somebody else while that's happening and of course he got off on the fact that he said you know, he saw what he did was wrong, and he didn't want to continue down that path. My life's going to go a different direction. Like, that kind of yeah, bull. crap. Um, so he was given a sentence of one year of day prison, which is basically like... A daycare for bad people. No, and oh. it's weird that they call it day prison because it's not during the day. He's allowed to go to his work and, you know, do his daily oh, duties, the and then opposite. he has to come and spend the night in jail every night. Okay. It's like... Like house arrest, but Kay. even house arrest, you're gonna. It's like it's like a halfway house almost. Yeah. Okay. His father wrote a letter asking asking for his son to have psychological help before he would be released from this, and they even let him out early. So like they totally disregarded the fact that his dad was like, "Hey, I think he needs some help," and then they were like, "You know what? You can get out early." They were like, "He does need help, and that's not gonna be here by." <laughs> right. Uh, his murders grew very fast after that. More and more, he played with his victims and treated them as if they were just uh, these things that he could experiment on. Ew. He performed lobotomies and drilled into people's skulls before <gasps> they were even dead. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. He's like a Frankenstein, like a scientist. That's disgusting. You know what I'm saying. Again, that story. Uh, he found new ways to dispose of... Z- I can't talk. I don't even know what words are. 
he found new ways to dispose of his bodies, and this involved him turning to cannibalism as well. There was another close encounter for him almost getting caught. A neighbor called about a naked boy running in the street. Oh, my God. When police came, he was unconscious and in the care of Dahmer. Care. Who claimed he was his lover and he was 19. He was like, mm. oh, no, no. This is my lover. Don't worry about it. He's just my unconscious. It's totally fine. Um, They're just way... We've said it in, like, every episode in the past. They're just way too trusting. Oh, yeah. That's a naked, passed out person in anybody's yeah, yard. No. I wouldn't just be like, oh. He said it's his lover. Like, no. Well, the boy was only 14. And because mm. Dahmer lived in a primarily African-American neighborhood and he was white, they believed him. Mm. Uh, when he was finally caught in 91, it was because two police officers noticed an African-American na- man named Tracy Edwards was walking in the street in handcuffs. Like, all of this has gone down. He's served a bunch of time and been on, you know, the stand for different things and people are just like nah he keeps on up with him. like naked teenage boys but it's fine it's everything's not fine not not that they were really thinking that he was related to murders even like i don't it, as far as like i know they weren't like wow this person's missing we're looking into you for this they just keep like having these weird reoccurrences even petty crimes though yeah anyway he this man that they found walking around with handcuffs he said someone had drugged him and handcuffed him so he led them to Dahmer's apartment and casually was just like, the Dahmer answered the door and they were like, hey, he said you drugged him and handcuffed him. And he was like, ah, just let me get the keys, guys. I'll let him go. Uh, and what the, the heck? No, and the guy was, this is like how dumb this sounds. He's just casually like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll grab the keys. And then the guy, so that already makes you guilty. Yeah, no, you're literally like, I literally have the, the, the thing for him to get out of it. Right. And he's like, the guy had told officers that Dahmer had threatened to kill him with a knife and that it, like, it was in the bedroom. So he was like, hey, like, could you look? And the cops were like, all right, all right, we'll check it out. And when they took just a short peek, they noticed the photographs of dismembered bodies. Which, I kind of have a thought here. Back then, even in the 90s. This was more 80s, wasn't it? Because you said 91 is when he got caught. This is the year he got caught. Oh, okay. okay. But 87 was when, like, his murders took off. So still close to the 90s. Either way, this was back when photographs were, like, real photographs. Polaroids. We didn't have them stored on our phone all the time. So somebody had to be printing these out for him at Walgreens. (laughs) Unless they were Polaroids and they just print them out on your own camera. I mean, I guess if it was, like, a, whatchamacallit, the ones that you, like, snap and they immediately come out, I guess. But, like... What if they weren't and they were – I'm thinking he's just somebody got all these photographs Walgreens. and somebody at Walgreens is just like, ah, oh, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. I don't, I don't think I should mean. report this. Yeah. It, could, it very well could have been the other one, so. That or he was just real skilled and he had his own developing studio. And like them old school. He had a red light room in his <laughs> – In his tiny apartment. Yeah, it was in his um, bathroom. <laughs> uh, so they noticed the photographs and so they were like, okay, we're, we're going to have to take you in, bud. <laughs> they were like, okay, you have the key, and that wasn't a big deal, but Right, but then we saw the pictures. photographs. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to do anything with the fact that you've already been seen with a naked boy and everything else. Child but. in your front yard. But. Yeah. So, when they carried out the rest of the searches of his apartment, 
they found many body parts in jars, including genitals and like pieces of people's skulls and preserved. Oh my god! They, yeah, they he preserved whole skulls too, and they obviously had to look at the sickening photos too. Uh, he also had a head in the refrigerator <gasps> and three in the freezer. Could you imagine being the person that had to find those? No. That is literally traumatizing. Mm-mm. I just can't. No. There's I, not even that I can see people why people kill people, but to also just like it's not even like oh humans are this weird and interesting creature. I think I would like to kill them and like study take them, them apart and do the weird things to them. But it's not like a car. No, it's he is you are a human and you're doing this to other humans. It's so weird. Go so, to med school, okay? <laughs> Actually, it's probably better that he didn't. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, like, if you're that intrigued by the body and you're like, oh. I want to know how the body functions and I want to be able to, like, operate. Go be a surgeon and, like, fix – help people. Don't just murder them yeah. just because. No, so he just straight up liked to chop people into pieces and <laughs> save their heads, I guess. What do you do with them? I don't eat them. Ew, yeah, that's right. Ugh. You know they say that um, I don't know that human he... meat is kind of sweet too. I don't know who they is, but they're creepy. <laughs> I just have, that's just what I've heard. Um, I don't know how much like he's named as like this you know cannibal, which I didn't see. Like I see a whole lot of his murders and dismemberments of bodies, but I know that he like clearly ate people. But I don't know that he was straight up like eating whole bodies. I think he was just eating like. Mm bits and pieces, pieces here well you know the only the first time i ever heard of jeffrey Dahmer was because of Katy perry song mm-hmm. that's like literally the <laughs> first time i ever knew that who he was because i was like who the heck is jeffrey Dahmer?" and i had to yeah. google him and i was like <laughs> yes uh so they found all those things um and after he died the town hated this man so much that they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy all of his, like, weapons and paraphernalia just to destroy it so they could get rid of him as, like, as much of a tie as possible to him. Hmm. But Can't blame him. Yeah. How he died is my favorite part. Tell me. Which is funny because I was, like, looking for his last words, too. Well, mm-hmm. he has none, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he claimed not guilty at first for his trial, but then retracted and came back with a guilty, uh, guilty by insanity plea. Which is what everyone does. Like, that's too. so dumb. I'd be like, all right, y'all, we gotta quit with this. Right, we know you're not crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. He was ultimately found guilty. But I thought it was weird because it took them 10 hours to deliberate and come to this conclusion. And I realize it's somebody's life that you're putting them in prison, but I feel like there's pre- some pretty damning em- evidence. Yeah, it, it's not like people were just like, oh, yes, that's definitely the guy I saw at the gas station. You know what I mean? Like, you right. know how, like, you can't just say you like saw they someone. found all of this in his apartment. Like you yeah. find three heads in a freezer and a, fr- a head in a fridge. I think that's some pretty damning evidence. Yeah, I mean you're you're guilty. Granted, you can't prove he murdered them just by finding that. But well, how honest. can you talk yourself out of that? Really, exactly. Though. So it took them ten hours. He was sentenced. to Would 16. have taken me ten minutes, but go ahead. Yeah, right. He was sentenced to sixteen, which I have a funny story about that too. Okay, he was sentenced to sixteen life sentences. Mm. When he was first in prison, he was not allowed to be with the rest of the inmates. Like, he had to be by himself and everything. And then, of course, he turned, like, all religious. And he was, like, reading everything that there was on Jesus. And even had, like, a pastor come in and baptize him. 
yada yada look i'm all for someone saying like oh well i changed my life around and like i found Mm. god that's great i really hope you did but i hate the people who do it just because they think that they're gonna like have this better opportunity to not be in prison anymore all right so he ended up convincing the guards to finally let him be with the rest of the population and he was placed with two other men who were also known killers to do their work service. So um, they were all three together, and they left them to do their jobs. And when the guards returned, they found that one of the men, last name was Scarver, had beaten both Dahmer and the other man that was there with him with a metal bar to death. Which I just love. Because, I do, too. Like, it's so justice. That. I know. It was so great. Like, I don't even think I could be mad at the guy. Yeah, like. Like, he's gonna be there forever anyway so right and yeah let's all live with this creep and then like yeah never it's have any justice with him ironic that he wanted to so badly to be like put in with other people right instead of isolated and then they it caused him to die yeah, yeah like that was the reason he died i just yeah but that's like the perfect story of like revenge yeah or karma rather uh so scarver he said he had killed Dahmer because of what he did and his crimes disturbed him and he also said that he would, like, Dahmer would put food parts together because they worked the food line to resemble severed limbs. Like, why? What a sick. He one. also said that he and the other man were taunting him, and since the guards left him alone, he decided to kill him. Got rid of him. Mm-hmm. But imagine, like, committing something so disgusting that you disturb a fellow murderer. <laughs> exactly. Someone's like, yeah, no, I did that too, but yours is really, like, you but really crossed like, the line. You're disgusting. Like, I can't even look at you right now. So, what my funny story is, is that um, if you've ever seen a photo of him, he wears those glasses that, like, mm-hmm. every murderer and sex offender ever wears. Those, like, metal, silver metal frames with, like, the yellowing lenses. Yeah. And they're, like, yeah. really round. Or not really round, but, like, almost aviator style with, like, the little band in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so funny because when I was called in for federal dirty duty, that my... The de- they had the defendant there, and he was a defendant for child pornography. And he legit had a comb over and wore those glasses. And I was like, well, he's already guilty. Like, why, why are we even doing this? <laughs> which they did. They they found him guilty in 10 minutes, which I thought was interesting. But I wasn't put on the jury, by the way, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Because you were like, he's guilty. Look at it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> no. that And that's not how I would be with any other person. Know. But, like, you could j- – just already tell with the way that the case was going i already didn't want to be on it but then i really i would have thought it was really cool if it was going to be like a murder trial but it wasn't it was something why are we why do we like why are we intrigued by that you know what i mean like yeah i don't know because i totally would about it right now i know but i mean like i totally would want to be on jury duty for a trial or murder as well but like yeah that would have been cool but that was definitely not the case yeah just a sicko Mm. which i mean i guess murder is pretty gross too okay are you done i'm done okay what a weird one it's just it that's why i thought he was just so smart and like he got away with so much it's like watching a movie where you're like come on it's obvious right it's like whenever (laughs) dad was talking we were in the car last night when dad said he likes that commercial of when the blonde girl's like, why don't we just get in the oh, running yeah. car? And the other group is like, no, let's let's hide behind these chainsaws. Right. <laughs> That's really what it's like. It so is. obvious. Like, like when it's even, like I was picturing a movie whenever they said, 
that that lady called the cops for that naked boy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so close. And, like, of course, he's unconscious, so he can't ask for you help. Even, it's yeah. just, it's like a typical movie scene. How, I just don't understand how you could ever see an unconscious naked boy and be like, not recheck up on them. You know what I mean? Even if it was my lover, why are they unconscious? <laughs> right. What did you give them? What, what you did doing? you say last week? Valerian Rude. <laughs> Okay, oh, that's just like a sleep aid, okay? Yeah, it knocked him out pretty good. <laughs> it's a natural sleep aid. Okay. So, um, I have the another podcast actually messaged me like right when we started doing this. Ooh. And um, it's the Gay Outdoors podcast. Okay. Have you heard of it? No. No? Well, they messaged me and they said that we should do the Crescent Hotel in um, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Okay. And I love Arkansas, mm-hmm. so I didn't tell you about it and decided to do it for myself. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay, so a little, a little bit of the history. It has 78 rooms, and it was built by the Eureka Springs Improvement Company and the Frisco Railroad, but it was designed by a well-known Missouri architect, Isaac L. Taylor, which is really close to your name, the <laughs> L. Taylor part anyway. Um, he had designed a number of famous buildings in St. Louis, which I thought was cool. So, it is on 27 acres at the north end of West Mountain above the Victorian village of Eureka, Eureka Springs. And during the time it was being built, uh, it was like a really important time in the Eureka Springs history because people were starting to hear about the healing waters of the Ozarks. Okay. Have you, did you don't know that? Know that? I can't speak either. That like, apparently the Ozarks had like healing waters. No, but that has to be the different Ozarks if it's not if it's in Arkansas. Yeah, but still, I didn't know it was even like I never heard of that. Mm-mm. But so people from like all over were coming to the area, like so they could get in the water in hopes of like curing their mm-hmm. diseases and their sicknesses and pains. And the developers of the hotel planned to take advantage of them by building like the most luxurious resort in the country. Okay. So, to start out, they brought numerous stonemasons in from Ireland to begin construction in 1884, and it was designed in an eclectic array of architectural styles, and like the masons, they had to build um, 18-inch walls, a number of towers, overhanging balconies, and a massive stone fireplace in the lobby. Okay. And over the two years that it took to build it, more and more workmen were hired as um, like lights and plumbing and heating and elevator extensive like beautiful landscaping and luxurious decorations and amenities were built into the hotel in the end the hotel cost two hundred ninety four thousand dollars to build which is over eight million dollars today i was gonna say that's like a an expensive house (laughs) yeah over eight million dollars that's too much money So, on May 20th, 1886, the Crescent Hotel opened um, during, like, a fair, a fanfare, Mm -hmm. and notable people from across the country attended it during the grand opening, and the opening included a gala ball, which was complete with a full orchestra and a banquet dinner for 400 celebrities, like, celebrity people, Mm -hmm. and the Eureka Springs Times Echo called it America's Most Luxurious Resort Hotel. So... They could enjoy the healing waters, but it also had a swimming pool, tennis courts and croquet, flower gardens, winding boardwalks and gazebos, a stable of 100 sleek coated horses. I love horses, by the way. Tea dances in the afternoon and elaborate parties every evening with a full in-house orchestra. 
What are tea dances, do you think? Tea dances? Yeah. I don't know. Do you think they just, like, drink tea and dance? Maybe it's, like, in the afternoon time or something, like tea time. Oh, that makes sense. Hold on. Are you going to Google it? Yep. (laughs) A tea dance, also called the descent. Mm-hmm was a dance held in the summer or autumn from 4 to 7 p.m. Okay. Garden party. It's a garden party. Anyway, (laughs) after the turn of the century, um, so at that point it was like around 1900, people began realizing that the healing waters uh, wasn't even a real thing. (laughs) Surprise. Yeah. So the whole, like the reason that the hotel was built was because the healing waters, like it was to house the people that were there for that. Mm -hmm. So whenever people realized that it wasn't, real people just stopped coming to the resort so from 1908 to 1924 the building was utilized as the crescent college and conservatory for young women but during the summer it continued to act as a hotel and after 16 years the revenues from tuition and summer guests still wasn't high enough to maintain the cost of running the building because it was so large that it just closed and it sat abandoned for six years after it closed and then briefly reopened as a junior college from 1930 to 1934. After that, it didn't open again until 1937 when a man named Norman Baker bought the hotel for the purpose of opening a cancer hospital and health resort. He advertised miracle cures that required uh, no surgery, no expensive tests or extensive or expensive, and like, he promised there'd be no pain, so whatever. He, That's a lie. Yeah, he alleged that patients could walk away from the resort cancer-free. But this was obviously a scam because the dude had no medical training. And he, oh, shocker. Yeah, and he had been convicted in Iowa in 1936, so just the year before, for practicing medicine without a license. So the American Medical Association condemned the many elixirs and potions that he had sold for a number of different ailments, which included cancer. And while he was operating the hotel or the hospital, he was being investigated by federal authorities and in 1939 was finally arrested for mail fraud. Uh, One U.S. postal inspector estimated that Baker made as much as $500,000 over $9 million today per year selling his miracle elixirs through the mail while he lived in Eureka Springs. Want to like orange juice. Right. It's like when you're a kid and you go into the bathroom and you just start pouring everything in. You're like, I'm making potions. That's, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You did that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You sort just, of. You looked at me like I was weird. I was more so the one that was pouring bubbles in the toilet. <laughs> and then you slip and you bust your head open. And then you get stitches. Yay. Um, so he was convicted to serve a four-year sentence, and the investigation revealed he had defrauded cancer patients out of approximately $4 million dollars which is $74 million today. Wow. I know. So no one Sounds actually... Sounds about right. Sounds very uh, congruent with the what's going on today. Yeah. So um, even though nobody died while they were there from, like, the cures, mm-hmm. the uh, investigation showed that the treatments... None of them helped. Right. So they kind of, like, hastened the death because they weren't getting the medicine that they needed for... Mm-hmm. the diseases that they Instead, had they were getting some right bull crap right so they died pretty quickly um in 1944 baker was released from prison and moved to florida where he lived comfortably until his death in 1958 but later whenever the hotel reopened 
Um, hotel workers found bottles and jars containing possible human medical specimens. Oh my god, both of our stories had jars. <laughs> jars full of nasty things. That's disgusting. So, um, during World War II, which is between like 1940 and 46, the beautiful sat em- the beautiful <laughs> the beautiful building sat empty again. But in 1946, the part the hotel was purchased by four Chicago businessmen who began to restore the old, old, the old hotel to its former glory. That's okay. I can't talk either. <laughs> what are words? So it never reached like the same level of its first like grand opening, but it again began to thrive. And in 1967, a fire swept through the fourth floor of the South Wing and a lot of it was destroyed. So over the years after that the hotel passed through just like many different hands and like people kept trying to repair and restore it but it never got really fully restored until 1997 when it was purchased by marty and elise roenig i could totally be saying that last name wrong but that's how i read it in my head so in may of 97 the couple announced um in five years we pledged to have this grand lady of the ozarks back to where she was 100 years ago but the residents in the area were kind of skeptical because they were like, we've heard this a thousand times. Like, I'm sure you are. But um, on September 6th, 2002, after $5 million in renovations, the Grand Hotel had been fully restored to its original glory. So that was just me running through the history really quick. But now I have some hauntings. This is 2002 when they fixed it? Mm-hmm. So okay. it's not that long ago. Uh, I always want to ask this question, but I know that you're going to get to it. But I was going to ask, does it still stand today and can we go visit? Yes. I actually okay. looked into going to visit and I really want to because it's not that far from us. Right. So we, sh- we should totally go stay for a weekend or something. Okay. Um, so the most often cited apparition is a red-haired Irish stonemason who the staff has named Michael. <laughs> he was one of the original masons who worked on the building um on building the hotel in 1885 he was working on the roof when he lost balance and fell to the second floor area and killed like he died on impact Mm -hmm. so the area where he fell is now where room 218 is and they said it's said to be like the most haunted guest room Uh, they say he's a mischievous spirit who likes to play tricks with the lights the doors the tv and is often heard pounding loudly on the walls Others have witnessed hands coming out of the bathroom mirror and heard cries of what sounds like a man falling in the ceiling. Out of the bathroom mirror? Yeah, like, I guess it's, like, reaching for you. Yeah, that's creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, other guests have been shaken during the night, and on one occasion, a guest ran out of the room claiming to have seen blood splattered all over its walls. So, like, I guess he had fallen in the blood splattered. It's gross. Um, there's a lingering spirit of a nurse from the days when it was the hospital. She's dressed in all white, and she's often seen pushing a gurney on the third floor. She's only seen after 11 p.m. because that's the time they used to move the deceased out of the cancer hospital. And then she vanishes when she reaches the end of the hallway. Uh, Others who don't see her still hear sounds of, like, squeaking and rattling like the gurneys rolling down the hallway. That's creepy. Yeah. And during the 1930s, this area was used as the morgue, and it still houses Dr. Baker's old autopsy table and walk-in freezer. But, like... Ew, to know that he was, like, performing autopsies mm-hmm. and everything without any training. Get rid of that stuff, though. That, is not, that does not hold good, good juju. Yeah, but it brings people in. Yeah, I definitely want to go see it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, also located on the third floor is the laundry area, where a hotel maintenance man once witnessed all of the washers and dryers turning on and off by themselves in the middle of the night. I know, they're groovy. All of them. 
All of them. Um, the apparition, apparition, <laughs> apparition of Dr. Baker himself can be seen in the old rec room in the basement and at the foot of the first floor stairway. He's dressed in a purple shirt and white linen suit, and he looks somewhat confused. And apparently <laughs> he looks identical to old photographs of Dr. Baker. Baker. But, like, I also will look confused in the afterlife. <laughs> right. Like, wait. Just walk around. Where am I? The antique switchboard continued to be used in the hotel, but when it continually received phone calls from the empty basement, the use of the old switchboard was discontinued. It was here in the basement that Dr. Baker's hapless patients were often convinced of his miracle cures and handed over their life saving for the treatment. Another remnant of the old hospital days is a ghostly figure who calls herself Theodora. She's most often seen by housekeepers in room 419. She literally introduces herself to people as a cancer patient and then she just quickly vanishes. She's like, hi, I'm, a cancer patient. I'm Theodora. I have cancer. Bye. Hmm. Um, in the lobby, there's a gentleman dressed in formal Victorian clothing and a top hat. So it's Abraham Lincoln. Um, no, just kidding. He's, <laughs> so it's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> he's spotted at the bottom of the stairway and sitting at the bar. And he, they say, like, he has a mustache and a beard. And if people try to talk to him, he will just, like, sit there quietly and never respond. But then he'll just disappear. Um, there's a crystal dining room, and it's another really frequent paranormal spot. They uh, People often see Victorian people dressed um, here along with groups of 1890s dancers in, like, full dress attire. And there's – this is my favorite one. There's a ghost. He's a 19th century gentleman who's seen sitting at a table near the windows – and whenever you approach him, he says, I saw the most beautiful woman here last night, and I'm waiting for her to return. That's kind of sweet. It is cute. Um, a former waitress reported that she saw a vision of a Victorian bride and groom in the dining room's huge mirror. The groom made eye contact with her before they faded away. Um, the Victorian spirits in the dining room are said to be very playful. And one time during the Christmas season, the Christmas tree and all the gifts were found moved to the other side of the room. And the chair had been moved to circle or face, all the chairs had been moved to circle or face the moved tree. So, like, they moved the tree across the hall, and then they, like, moved the chairs around the tree that they moved. Okay. Another time, the staff arrived in the morning to find the dining room in perfect order, with the exception of all the menus were scattered around the room. That's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And then in the kitchen, there's an apparition of a small boy who is seen skipping around, and sometimes pots and plan- pans come flying off their hooks on their own. Oh, solid. Like, you're just trying to make, like, a nice risotto, <laughs> and people just are throwing pots and pans at you. I don't even know how to make risotto. I don't even know what that is. That's like a rice. That's what I thought. Um, another reported spirit is a young girl who once attended the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. So her tale is that she either jumped like committed suicide mm-hmm. or was pushed from the balcony to for, to her death and people report hearing her screams as she falls mm. and the last one i have it says apparitions have been sighted in room 202 and 424 as well as a ghostly waiter carrying a tray of butter in the halls excuse <laughs> me sarah i would like some butter is butter a carb <laughs> <laughs> um that's all i have but I want to visit it because it sounds really creepy. So yeah, how far away is that? I think it's like five hours. Which is yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, not that. It's definitely worth for like a weekend trip to go mm-hmm. stay the night at the hotel. 
So I don't know. I don't know if I want to sleep in the same spot. We're sleeping haunted. in there. Ugh. Someone's going to shake you awake. Ugh. Like, I'm down for visiting haunted places, but I don't know that I want to sleep in a haunted place. That's kind of how I feel, too. But if I'm taking a five-hour trip, yeah. we're staying the night in that hotel. Yeah. Something better shake me awake. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, those are our stories this week. Jeffrey Dahmer in the Crescent Hotel. Da, 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 like a crescent roll. I had crescent rolls for dinner. Jeffrey they weren't Dahmer done. had people for dinner. Ew! What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm Ew. just saying. You're not wrong. He's still such like an... It's just very intriguing to me. That like you can be so smart, but so... Stupid. Distanced from reality. Yeah. And yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely... Oh, he gives me the heebie-jeebies for sure. <laughs> Somebody put a thing on Facebook and it was like, I don't know what they were comparing it to, but they were like, tell us your name, like give us the name of a famous person and like what they would be, like a rhyme for like what they did. And he was Jeffrey Dahmer, the people nomer. <laughs> <laughs> I hate everyone in the world. I it's it horrible. Funny. It is really funny. I hate us for laughing at that. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Do you have a joke for me? Of course I have a joke for you. Lauren. I was going to say, don't don't let me know how to joke. What do ghosts eat for dinner? Um, I'm drawing a blank. Spook Eddie. Spook Eddie. <laughs> That's what I eat for dinner. <laughs> I love spaghetti. It's my favorite. I want grandma spaghetti. Okay, on that note, weirdo, <laughs> we're going to go, but um, you guys should rate, review, and leave us like a cute little note. What are those called? Review. Is it called a review? Yeah. Leave us a review on the iTunes. Yes. And give us a listen. Give us a listen. Not that you would know that if you didn't listen to us. If you listen to us, um, tell. you giving us a listen. Yeah, thank you. And tell at least one person about us. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll haunt you when we die. Um, Which will probably be tomorrow because we're old. True. I'm 95. Same. <laughs> um, Instagram, at Hocus Pocus Bogus. Facebook and Twitter, at HPB Podcast. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye for now. See you cool cats later.